I'm Ashley. I'm Jen. And I'm Sarah. And we are Unabridged, the podcast where teachers take on books. Join us each week for bookish episodes and check out our website, unabridgedpod.com, where you can find lots of new bookish content every week. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at unabridgedpod and message us there or see our website to get plugged into the unabridged community. You want opinions about books? We've got them. And welcome to Unabridged. This is episode 217. Today we are discussing Sally Thorne's The Hating Game. We are focusing on the film adaptation, but we'll also be touching on the book as well. And before we get started with that discussion today, I just wanted to remind you that we have a lively community on Instagram where we do a lot of book discussions every month. We do this in the form of both book club discussions and buddy read discussions. So a lot of you are already there, but we wanted to mention it in case you are listening and haven't plugged in there. We have chats and we discuss them in Instagram. So if you're unfamiliar with that, feel free to message us and we can kind of let you know how it works. But we are on Instagram at Unabridged Pod. You can always just message us. We post every month when those discussions are happening. They often are on Mondays at eight Eastern Standard Time in the evening. And we discuss both our book clubs each month and also a young adult buddy read pick. Before we get into our discussion of the film, we wanna share our bookish check-in. Jen, what are you reading? So I just started Samantha Coho's Bright Ruined Things, and I'm recording. We're recording this a little early, but this will have just come out when this episode releases, and I am loving it so far. So this is a YA retelling of Shakespeare's The Tempest, and it has been a very long time since I read The Tempest, but parts of it are coming back as I'm reading. So the main character here is May, and she lives on an island that is sort of ruled by the Prosper family. And they found their wealth when the patriarch of the family discovered this magical thing called ether that the island possessed and was able to master the magic of the island. And then he, that that's kind of an industry now that makes the whole world work. So May's father found the island with Prosper. He was like his servant and has since died, but Prosper promised that he would look after May until she became an adult, and she's now 18. So she feels as if her position on the island is very tenuous, and very early on in the book, she finds out that the eldest grandson, Ivo, wants to marry her, and it's sort of this arranged marriage thing, and she feels as if she needs to marry him because that would secure her place on the island. Otherwise, she's going to have to leave and go somewhere. She's never been off the island. She's going to have to leave and go somewhere where she doesn't understand how the world works, where there's not the magic that is so woven into her daily existence. In addition, she has a crush on a different Prosper grandson named Miles. And so not only is she reluctant to marry Ivo, but she really wants this other guy, but she doesn't want to leave the island. So she wants to make, yeah, so her life is complicated. And yeah, so that is right where I am. And I really like the writing style. I think it's one of those that I feel like even if you haven't read The Tempest, it would totally work. In fact, it may be better because I keep trying to figure out which characters stand in for which other characters. And I'm not sure I remember them all super clearly. 
I've resisted looking up a summary of The Tempest just because I want to figure it out on my own. But anyway, it's really good so far. So that is Samantha Coho's Bright Ruined Things, and it just came out on Tuesday. Oh, wow, Jen. That sounds really good. I hadn't heard of that one. NetGalley always bringing in the good books. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. What about you, Sarah? What are you reading? I just got a brand new cookbook last month, so I have been looking through that, and it is called Everyday Dinners, Real Life Recipes to Set Your Family Up for a Week of Success. It's by Jessica Merchant. It just came out last year, and she is a blogger who I read her blog. It's called The Pretty Dish, and she just has a lot of really healthy recipes that are pretty quick. And so I really enjoyed reading what what she's written in the beginning of the book and then just thumbing through the recipes and picking things out that I want to make. So again, my reading is not as great as it could be. And so sometimes I just have my cookbooks that are my comfort reads that I look through and try to think about to plan meals for my family. So that's what I'm reading right now this week. So that's Everyday Dinners, Real Life Recipes to Set Your Family Up for a Week of Success by Jessica Merchant. Oh, wow. That sounds great, Sarah. That's a really, I like the ones that look at like weeks of time or kind of broader spectrums of time. I always think that's an interesting take and I can rarely get myself together to think ahead, but I find when I do, everything goes so much more smoothly. You all know I do not cook, and yet there is something really compelling about that idea of, look, here's my week, (laughs) even for people who don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Ashley, what are you reading? So I just started our buddy read for this month. This is Amiko Jean's Tokyo Ever After, and I have been so excited to read this one, and I know Sarah read it. Mm-hmm. a while ago, right, Sierra? Yes. I think you read it first and then we're telling us how great it was. And so I'm really excited to read it. And speaking of our buddy reads, this chat happens on the 21st of this month. So you still can join in if you want. And you can just message us, like I was saying in the beginning, you can just message us at Unabridged Pod and we would be happy to have you join. I'm listening to this one and I have only gotten through just a tiny little bit of it so far, but I am totally captivated. This focus is on Izumi Tanaka, and she lives in a north like in northern california it's a predominantly white area and she feels kind of isolated for example she goes by izzy instead of izumi because she feels like that's like easier for people to say and so she definitely has this feeling of feeling like she's a bit of an outsider also wanting to blend in and her whole life it's just been her and her mom and they are very close to each other but she knows nothing about her father She just knows that there was a man and now her mom has her and she is really in support of her mom's liberation. She is quick in the very beginning to say how she has no judgment at all about her mom, but she knows that there was a guy, it was a single night, they didn't have an ongoing relationship. And so she just doesn't know anything else. Well, right there in the beginning, she has some great friends. So I can't wait to see where things go with her friend group. But she found this little bit of information and that prompted her friend to do some snooping. And (laughs) very, very quickly, they had this emergency meeting in the library and she discovers that it's pretty easy to actually figure out who her father was. And he also is the crown prince of Japan. 
So <laughs> that is where I am, <laughs> is that they have just had this revelation and it's clear. I mean, she, they see the images of him and his profile is just like her profile and all the things line up. The time that he was in the US, the location, he was at the school where her mom was in college. And so like all of that stuff is lining up. So it seems like they have hit on something that <laughs> that is going to change her life. So I am very excited to see where this one goes. I've been wanting to read it since Sarah shared it because it just sounded so great. And like I said, very beginning, but, but swept away up by it. And that is Emiko Jean's Tokyo Ever After. And that's our young adult buddy read this month. I love that book so much. It's yeah, I cannot wait to discuss it because I feel like there are just so many different paths for discussion for this one. It's going to be a really fun chat. Awesome. So we wanted to hop over to our discussion of Sally Thorne's The Hating Game. And like I said before, this is an adaptation episode. So we're really going to focus more on the film, but we did want to touch on the book as well and just talk about things that we enjoyed and didn't maybe enjoy in both of them. So overall impressions first. Sarah, why don't you start us off this time? Well, I was really excited to read this one because I know it is beloved by romance lovers. So for me, though, I did not love the book and I did not like the movie at all. So <laughs> I was a little disappointed because I thought I would like both and I just didn't. And I don't know if it's the headspace I'm in or if it's just I have some romance book fatigue or if I just don't like this particular book. I just wasn't really rooting for the relationship very much in it. And Lucy as a character, I don't know. I, she just got under my skin. And I don't know why. I just I found her annoying. <laughs> I don't know. I just didn't. I just didn't like it very much. And I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to all of our romance <laughs> listeners, but I just, I don't know. I just, it took everything I could to get through the book. And then the movie I thought was terrible. So I'm sorry. I'm usually not <laughs> negative. <laughs> well, there you go, folks. Jen, what about you? Well, I'm just going to do a complete turn here. Okay. So I will say, I know there are people out there who do not love this book. And so I feel like Sarah, you are speaking to their hearts. I <laughs> love this book. It is one of my favorite romances and enemies to lovers is my favorite trope. And this is my favorite of the enemies to lovers book. I think it's the banter that I really enjoy in this one. It reminds me of like the 1940s movies with Hepburn and Tracy and just that really quick back and forth wittiness that it's just my favorite. I just think it's so funny. And I have to say, when I read it, I was like, ooh, I bet this would be fun on screen, not anticipating that it would ever get on screen because I feel like there aren't that many romance novels like this that are adapted and so when, when the adaptation was announced, I had some trepidation because I had had that thought that, you know, it harkens back potentially to this great film tradition. And also, I love this book and I hope they don't ruin it. So I went into the movie with low expectations and I feel like that was the right thing. I listened to the book Riot podcast and when they do these kinds of, you know, what did you think about this thing that you went into? Were you overwhelmed? whelmed or underwhelmed. And I was whelmed because I did not expect <laughs> great things from the movie and it was fine. 
I, there were parts, and we'll get into this more, I know, there were parts that I really did not think that the changes they made served the characters or the relationship well. There was one casting decision in particular, not casting decision, but just the way they played one of the roles that I did not care for, but it was fine. Like, I, I didn't hate the time I spent watching it, but I didn't love the movie and it, it definitely did not reach my expectations for the adaptation of this book that I love so much. So, so that's where I am. Ashley, how about you? <laughs> well, I thought we did not discuss this ahead of time and I thought I would be totally alone here, but it was not my cup of tea. And so I don't want to, you know, go too in depth, but I will just say that the book did not work for me. And part of that is because I think I had tremendous expectations. I knew Jen loved it. I knew some other romance readers whose opinions I often align with love it. And so I think that I was expecting to love it. And it's funny to hear you say it too, Sarah, because it made, when I first read it, I thought, oh, I must be in a bad space for this <laughs> because I was just like really surprised that I didn't enjoy it. But the fact that you didn't either makes me think that, you know, I think some of it is that there's high expectations at this point because a lot of people have absolutely loved it. And also there are things in it that I just don't love in romances. Mm -hmm. I, for one thing, I do not like the enemies to lovers trope. We've talked about that before when we have discussed romance books that rarely works for me. And I think the thing I find so grating about it is that often it is apparent to everyone but the characters that the characters are in love with each other mm -hmm. and that gets very old to me <laughs> it's like yes you're into each other you are adults <laughs> you are capable you are not 14 you are not discovering your emotions for the first time in your life so yeah you're into each other clearly and, and that I, went on in this book until like the very you know that went yeah. on for a long 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 time and i just was like like even after it was clear that they were interested in each other it still was this like oh we're only going to be together this one night oh this is just like like it's an arbitrary time like mm -hmm. like and it just oh i just can't that part i mean i got fed up with like once I, I there were parts i thought were really sweet then i was like okay like when they were starting to spend time together when she showed up at his apartment and was so vulnerable and clearly was just admitting that to herself and to him that she was just really into him. From that point on, I was kind of like, okay, I can't understand that you think he's like working you over, you know, or that like what he's saying. They both were so vulnerable. And once they were in that, I loved that part. I loved them being willing to open up and to admit these feelings but then and I like that in the movie as well like I liked that part where like you know he showed her the wall I thought it was a little creepy but also <laughs> but also sweet <laughs> that he showed her the wall that was like her eye color I mean just this kind of and I mean again that was a difference from the book but it was the same sentiment mm -hmm. that you know he thought of her when he made his choices and I thought all that stuff was really sweet but then I had a hard time with kind of that follow-up of, of the continued tumult when to me things had been worked out and so and i think that is tricky for me in romances in general that is something that i need those external problems to be beyond them just not working out their feelings and so i i really feel like when i read it like sarah said i mean i wanted to love it so then i felt disappointed that i didn't love it as much as i expected to but the more i thought about it the more i realized like 
those just are the things that I can find really frustrating in romance books. So certainly there were some things that I enjoyed within the story, but when I finished it, I just felt like it was the, it's not my cup of tea kind of feeling. And I, unlike you all, I think the movie was better than I expected. I read the book and then had had a little while before I watched the film. And so I think in some ways, because I already knew the things that didn't work for me really well, I kind of enjoyed the movie more because I could just enjoy the things that I liked about it, but I wasn't so hung up on some of the stuff that I found frustrating within their relationship. So, so yeah, and, and same, I feel like I need to say, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's funny because we always want to be honest about our feelings on books and we try hard to make sure that we're being genuine in what we think, but I know that a lot of you listening do really love this book. So, so. I don't want to disappoint anyone, but but that's the truth. And you know, we will stand strong. Lovers we, yeah. unite. I, I know, I know. I mean, it is like a there's a whole bunch of you out there. So yeah, well, there you go. That's my true opinion. And I mean, again, when I think back on it, it's rare that the enemies to lovers trope works for me. There are a few exceptions, but they definitely are the exception for me instead of the rule when it comes to that particular trope. Well, let's talk about some things that worked for us within the film or just things you liked in the book that were that stood out for you. Jen, what about you? I really loved the setup at the office. I thought from the opening scene when they had everything set up as this mirror and it was just really clever the way they played with that space, the office space in the scene. I thought that worked really well visually and then set the stage really well for someone who hadn't maybe read the book to understand very quickly what their relationship was like. They had everything mirrored. And I thought Corbin Burnson as yes. Bexley was fabulous. Yeah. And I hadn't seen him in something for a long time. And I thought he was a great, horrible person, horrible boss. And I really liked the way they portrayed that conflict between the Bexley people and the Gammon people and like what your intention is in publishing and the way that Lucy, because she saw Josh as being associated with the Bexleys, that that was not just a personality conflict. That was like everything that mattered to her. He represented something different and the way that played in then to their whole sort of I'm putting hate in air quotes here, hatred for each other. I, I thought that was really clever and really well done. Yes. Yes. I loved that opening scene too. I thought that like the angle where they did like that yeah. kind of aerial view, uh -huh. I thought all of that was really cool. I agree with that. I had a different setup in my mind. Like it was much more like skyscraper. -y. There were way more windows and it was a lot less stuff in my yeah. mind. And so it is funny. It's been a while since I've read the book and then watched the movie in a, you know, in a pretty short together time. And so I was definitely having that experience of, I had these very clear images in my mind. And of course the film is different always than like whatever you have envisioned. And so that was funny, but I, but I loved all that in the beginning. What about you, Sarah? What was something that you liked? I like movies that are set in the publishing world. I think it's really interesting. And so I really like the the idea of this movie and book. I like the, I usually do, don't mind the enemies to lovers trope. It's not my favorite, but I usually don't mind it. So I, like I said, I like the idea and the, the, the setting in this 
book and film. Ashley, what is something that worked for you? Something I really loved in both the book and in the film, how it got represented was the part where she was sick. I mean, I did think that that opened up the possibility for them to get to know each other and for him to show this whole side of him that was so different than the way that he presents in the office space. And so I did, I really liked that. And I felt like the fact that he was willing to call in his brother, who he clearly had a tumultuous relationship with, to check on her, all of that worked really well for me. So that was something that I thought was really well done. I I really liked it in the book. And like I said, I think for me, I really enjoyed the book, but as it went in the beginning and like that part where they started to get to know each other, it was clear that he had feelings for her. All of that opened up. I think the thing that, again, I think that's just a problem for me with the trope is just that then I wanted things to work out, but then what happens in the book, right? I mean, you know, you need, you need things to keep the plot moving forward. But I do agree, Jen, that something that I saw more clearly in the film was the Bexley's and Gammon's conflict. And I thought that those opening scenes where people were doing, where you saw all of these like standoffs and it was just really people purposefully being menacing to each other, sliding each other on purpose. And it was clear that that was kind of a, you know, system-wide attitude. I thought that that worked really well. And it was something that I knew was going on in the book, but I felt like the film accentuated it in a way that I think is effective because again, it did help to reinforce exactly what you said, Jen, that those problems weren't just personal conflicts, but also extended to this larger conflict and made it harder for them to, especially for Lucy, to accept her feelings about Josh. So... I did think of one other thing that I liked the scene and I like, I really enjoyed the paintball scene in the book. (laughs) I thought that was, I thought that was funny. And I thought I, I had a chuckle over the description and just how seriously they were taking it and all that. So I did like that. Yeah. 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 That's true. There were a lot of parts where I laughed out loud in the book, Mm -hmm. you know, that were just really funny. So, okay. So let's talk just a little bit about, the book versus movie, maybe something, a change that stood out to you or just how you felt about the comparison. Sarah? So one of the worst things for me from the book to the movie was Danny, his mm-hmm. character. Um, oh my gosh. In the book, <laughs> sure. like I really did not get the same, I don't know, the choice they made to make him kind of goofy and like bumbling in the movie, I just thought that was really a strange choice and in the book I felt like he was a very like he seemed like he was like this attractive kind of quiet guy but that that she that she actually liked him yes and it did not seem that she liked like she just it just seemed like she was using him in in the movie like just for that personal like to get at Josh and in the book it seemed a little bit more nuanced to me I I just did not like how that all went down and I, and I just didn't feel like the character, the person that they cast and the way that, that they played Danny in the movie, but it didn't feel right at all for me. I agree. Yeah. 100%. That was one Same. of the very first things I wrote down from the moment he came on the screen. I have a smiley face or a, a sad face. I mean, because, because yeah, it made her seem really callous. Yeah, And I know she's not supposed to be like that. We like her every moment, uh-huh. but it did. It just made it seem like she did not think of him as a person. And of course, in the book, you know, she's not going to end up with him, 
but it seemed a more realistic hint at a love triangle in the movie. It was just like from the moment he came on screen, she was rolling her eyes. And I just, and so was I. Yeah. I just didn't appreciate that at all. Yes. The whole time Sarah was talking, listeners, both Jen and I were like vehemently nodding our heads. I mean, 100%. Yeah. I mean, I I just was completely bewildered. And I agree with what you said, Sarah, that not only was it grating about him, but it made her seem really heartless. I mean, because then all of a sudden in the book, I felt like she felt like he was the quote, right guy that she should choose. He's the nice guy. He's mm-hmm. the nice guy. And I'm not sure that I bought all of that again. I, right. That right. part is kind of like tiresome to me. But I did think that in her perspective, she he was the one she should choose. And she just never wanted to. That's totally different to me than like, I mean, when, when she walked in his office to ask him about going and he already had those plans and then he dropped all his plans because she had the cat thing. You know, she made up the thing about the cat. All of that made her seem really awful. I mean, just like a really, that was just really cold and calculated. And none of that happened in the book. I mean, it didn't Mm -hmm. play out like that, you know, and he didn't reek of desperation. I mean, I just felt like all of that was just really, I felt sorry for him. I felt like he was pitiful. And I thought all of that was strange because none of that was in the book for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a big difference. I have one more too. In the book, I felt like, like I could feel their chemistry, you know, like even though I was, I, I wasn't a fan of them as characters. Like I felt like the chemistry, like Sally, Sally Thorne really created this chemistry between them. And I felt that in the movie, I felt that there was no chemistry between the actors and it was just very, it all just seemed like in the movie for me, it just seemed like people like going through the motions. Like I didn't feel like there was much heart in it. And so I didn't like that either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about you, Jen? What, what were your thoughts? My big thing that I want to compare is a structural change that I thought really changed the course of their relationship. So the fact that Lucy overhearing Josh and Bexley's conversation before the wedding and before, you know, they have this, well, before they have sex, but before they have this big moment of bonding really was problematic for me because I think in the book you have this great buildup of trust. And so when she hears that conversation before the wedding and then they sort of work through it, I thought that made much more sense than them working through almost every conflict and then her hearing it and believing it. I just thought once they had worked through so many issues and really been vulnerable and she'd been there for him and she got over the fact that she was at a wedding for his ex-girlfriend way too quickly, in my opinion, in the movie. But anyway, not that she was there, but that he had not told her. I thought that was really unrealistic. But yeah, I thought that structural change made their relationship seem much, much weaker and as if then they could be taken down by any small misunderstanding. Whereas in the book, I think you see them work through so many different issues. So then it just seems a relationship that they've had to work out a little bit, which I liked. So yeah, I, that structural change. And I understand why they did it. Like I understand you can't have the slow build in a movie the way you do in a book, but I feel like they could have just flipped it. Yeah. I guess they wanted the big reveal in the office and that big scene at the end with everybody clapping But I just, from that point on, I just didn't 
yeah, I just did not love that. Yes. I thought, I mean, the things that were said in the office that she heard were so horrifying. And I feel like in the book, it was much more subtle. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, I could survive. And I, I agree, the timing was significant, but also she didn't hear like all these right. horrendous things. I mean, the fact that she didn't report that immediately and have the man fired was just like hard to get over. Right. And so I felt like, I think you're right that it was supposed to just lead to this buildup, but then I got preoccupied with how that was wrong on every level. Because right. I was that explicitly she heard it happen. about, I mean, it was come explicitly on. about them having sex as a way for him to get the job. And Absolutely. that was not in the book. And so, yeah, the no. book was just much more, yeah, about focused on work. And so it was still bad, but it was not, yeah, it was much more forgivable than right. what, yeah, I agree with that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Both that he didn't report it and that she didn't report it. I just couldn't get past that part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. What about you, Ashley? There were a couple of things I did think were fun. I loved when she came in. The whole dress thing did not work for me. It did not work for me in either the book or the film. That's the kind of thing that I have a hard time where I'm like, you are an adult. Mm -hmm. I just, yeah, I just don't know that I can buy in that this is like happening. But anyway, when she came in and then she tripped uh -huh. and then her menstrual cup yes. fell out of her purse and then he picked it up and he's like, what is this? <laughs> and she proceeded to explain what a menstrual cup was. That was one of my most favorite scenes <laughs> in the film. So like, to me, that was something that was added that I just absolutely thought worked so well. It was uh -huh. hilarious. And it showed the preposterousness of her in that outfit. Yes. <laughs> and, and then her having to like, you know, live through it mm -hmm. basically. And, but then like that, that the menstrual cup fell out and then they came back and they circled around and talking about that again, all of that I thought was awesome. So I absolutely loved that part and thought that it showed, you know, both of them as humans. And, <laughs> and so that really worked for me. So mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I agree. I thought that scene was really funny. The, some <laughs> of the visual humor, the visual comedy yeah. worked really, really well. I thought it was funny. Yeah. Yeah. And that part works better. I think I agree with what you said, Sarah, about the chemistry and stuff that some of that did not work for me. So then I did enjoy the parts that were funnier. I liked both the bosses. I mean, I thought that their roles were, I mean, you know, I mean, he's a total sleazebag, but I thought that both their roles worked well and suited the book. Um, but I loved Helen. Yes. Yeah, Sakina Jaffrey. She, she was on another show and she's fabulous. But in that show, she was like, it was, I think she was in house of cards and she's like this super domineering, very strict, very power suit person. And so it was interesting to see her in this very different role. Yeah. I thought she was great. Yes. I thought she did a great job. And I also loved, that was another change that I did think worked well, was like that commentary about how Lucy never asked and how she didn't speak up for herself and she didn't try. So I did feel like there were a couple of times that, again, in the book, Helen had admitted that she wanted to hold on to her because she loved what Lucy did, you know, and that's yeah. why she didn't want to help her move on. But I thought there was more explicit commentary there about women not necessarily seeking out the promotions and doing all the hard work, but not always advocating for themselves or trying to step up. And like that part also where when the guy comes in and they both are from Harvard and it's such like a boys club moment and Lucy is so left out of it. And 
the more she's left out, the more uncomfortable she feels. So then she does these things that, that further accentuate how, I mean, when she shows that donut hole or whatever in her mouth, I mean, I just, really I just thought it was again, visually like hilarious, but also accentuated the way that women are cut off from roles of power and opportunities to advance. And so I really liked that part too. Can I, I just felt say, like I'm gonna... a lot about that pile on one more thing. I did not like the fact that Helen was in on Josh's manipulation of Lucy at the end, because I thought that was so inconsistent with who her character was in supporting Lucy. And I just thought it was really condescending to think that she needed to feel that way to do a good job in her pitch. I did not care for that change at all. I didn't either. And I don't know why they added it because I felt like it weakened her and her position, but also it was totally inconsistent with the way she presents in the film of what she's like with Lucy and how she feels toward her and all of that stuff. Yes. And I also didn't like that Josh was the one who did the reveal. I didn't like anything about that in the end. I mean, I just was like, why does he get to announce that she had the promotion? Why on earth? Yeah. I had a hard time with that too. Yeah. And it was just for that single moment of her feeling like she he got the job and then realizing it was her. And then she had to feel grateful to him for I, Right. That it. was exactly it. it. Was And again, I thought that that undermined this message that I was trying to point out here. Right. <laughs> sorry. You know, I went the other direction. I, mean, I, do, I mean, I do. I, I think, you know, I try to think about like what the things were that worked for me, even in something that I didn't necessarily love. Right. But I did feel like that messaging of if the point is supposed to be about Lucy coming to empower herself and to recognize that mm-hmm. she is worthy of high power right. positions, then then why on earth is Josh the one who announces it? And then, yeah, I felt like there was this idea that like she should be grateful to him as if to suggest that he would have gotten it otherwise, which should right. not be the message. I mean, right. Right. I didn't feel like that was the message in the book. I think the message was supposed to be that he loved her and because he loved her, he was going to find a different solution. It had nothing to do with the fact that he would have gotten the position right. instead of her. Yeah. Right. And that part I thought was really shaky at the end, because again, I felt like that was kind of the message. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree 100%. I will say, so I tried to find trivia on this movie and could find very little, but Robbie Amel was originally cast as Josh. And I don't know if y'all know who he is, but I wonder if that would have helped with the chemistry because I really like him. In the who who was it? Robbie Amel. You know that I'm useless on this, Jen. I so I, he's of course a, he's I a good actor. <laughs> Not that I didn't think that Austin Stowell or Sal, I don't think he was bad. I thought it was more the two of them together. And so I was just like, I wonder. Yeah. And there were scenes that I think could have, if they had removed that like closet scene, mm-hmm. I think that would have been helpful because that did not help with the chemistry stuff. Yeah. Well, there we go, folks. We. <laughs> Once we get the ball rolling here, I feel like we uh, we could say lots of things to continue, journey. To, <laughs> continue to critique here. But I think I'm going to just ask you all overall preference, book or film, and then we will share Give Me One. So, Jen. <laughs> book. What about you, Sarah? Book. Ashley, what about you? I think I kind of shared that earlier, but I would say film for me. And it's not that I absolutely loved it, but I think I had kind of worked out a lot of the things that that I didn't love in the book. And so then that made it easier to enjoy the parts of the film that I felt like I shared that did work. So, well, there you go, folks. We have some opinions about this. We would love to hear what you think about The Hating Game. And if you loved the book and you watched the adaptation, we would love to hear about that as well, because I think that's really interesting. Or if you didn't love the book. 
if you didn't love the book and you did watch the adaptation, then we'd love to hear about both of those. Or if you just want to tell us what you thought about the book, that's all great. So you can always find us at Unabridged Pod. Today, we want to end with our Give Me One. And today's topic is a book your kids love. Sarah, what's your pick? My pick is a book that both of my kids adored and loved me to read aloud to them. And that is The Day the Crayons Quit by Drew Daywalt. And it is illustrated by Oliver Jeffers. My kids love that one too. Mm-hmm. Same. What about you, Jen? What's your pick? So I'm going to try to find out which book my kids would recommend you start with, but both of them are huge fans of Rick Riordan's. Like all of the things, the graphic novels, the novels, they're super excited that Percy Jackson is, has been optioned for Disney Plus and it's going to be a series on there. So yeah, Rick Riordan and I'll find a place for you to start. How about you, Ashley? So one thing that's been super nice since we got back in the States is my kids who had really moved to chapter books for quite a while before we left is that they're back into picture books. And so that's been really, really fun to get back into those and enjoy them. And I just wanted to mention that if there's other parents, I was like thinking about purging all that stuff and sharing it with people because they weren't reading them, but we circled back. So I'm glad we still have them. And this one was gifted to to us with the podcast from Macmillan Kids. And it's a pretty recent publication. So I wanted to share it because it is phenomenal. This is Niki Nakayama, A Chef's Tale in 13 Bites. And it's by Debbie Machiko Florence and Jamie McCulloch. And it's illustrated by Yuko Jones. And this is the story of Niki Nakayama, who is a real chef in California, and her journey to become a chef. And it is, like it says, it's told through 13 bites. And that's because Kaiseki is a traditional Japanese cooking style that has 13 courses. And so it's just her journey of fusing her American heritage with her family's Japanese heritage and just that journey to become a chef. And, you know, it's a predominantly male dominated field. And so it's really talking about her trying to find her way. And I mean, it is just beautiful. So I wanted to share that one because that one's been new. It's it's a relatively new publication and it's new to our family and it is such a great book. So again, that's Niki Nakayama's A Chef's Tale in 13 Bites. I read that one when we received it from Macmillan and I just loved it. I couldn't wait for Ashley to get home back to the state so I could give it to her for her girls to read. Yes, it is just the illustrations are gorgeous, but also I think that it's such a beautiful journey of her finding her way and just like telling that story of trying to get people to take you seriously on what your dream is. So there's a lot about her as a child. Yes, it's just great. Well, listeners, like I said, we would love to hear what you thought about Sally Thorne's The Hating Game and or the adaptation. And you can let us know that at Underbridge Pod. And thanks so much for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Underbridge Pod or on the web at unabridgedpod.com for ways to support us. To get more involved, you can sign up for our newsletter, join a buddy read, or become an ambassador. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.